you know, one of the most uh, profound lessons that we can learn uh, in terms of our growth as believers, followers of Christ, disciples, uh, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. It's also, interestingly, what is one of the most seemingly counterintuitive means through which God would seek to help us grow. In the passage, uh, and it's significant where the passage appears, it's again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's uh, toward the very end of this letter, and Paul has a long history uh, with this church. He spent about a year and a half there, we find out from the book of Acts, he planted the church and poured into them for a, a good long time, uh, and it was a church that was pretty messed up. They had a number of questions for him in 1 Corinthians that we see that he eventually addresses in about chapter 7, after spending the first six chapters dealing with all the messes uh, in that church, carnality, sectarian views like I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. Um, there was sin in that church that was not even named among the Gentiles. It's just, it was a really messed up church. And it also was situated in a place that made it one of the most prominent philosophical centers in the ancient world. Uh, by the time we get to the second letter, Paul's been gone for some time, and a number of false teachers uh, have crept into the church and have won over many within that body, and uh, so much so that they have actually convinced many people in that church, uh, the church by and large, that Paul is unworthy to be a minister to them, that his apostolic authority is uh, is really nothing. He's not even impressive in terms of his appearance and all that kind of thing. Um, they've really just turned this body of believers against him. And you can tell throughout the letter that this absolutely crushes Paul. It breaks his heart, um, again, profoundly. And he has unfortunately had to um, demonstrate to them his love for them as a spiritual father, his, certainly his apostolic authority, but only demonstrated for their benefit, not for his own. Uh, as one who receives the, has received the very word of God from God himself. He learned the gospel from Christ personally. Um, this is somebody who, you know, by all rights, uh, is the premier apostle on the scene at the time. And, uh, and, and it was to their benefit that he came to them and planted that church and again poured himself into it for, uh, again, a year and a half, almost two years or so. And uh, for them to have turned on him uh, and, and have really become sort of really cold to him uh, was completely unwarranted. It was a demonstration of their lack of maturity uh, in going after these false teachers. But the way that Paul demonstrates the reality of his ministry and really validates his ministry to them uh, is by virtue of his sufferings on their behalf or on his sufferings on behalf of Christ. Uh, the amount of suffering that he went through for the sake of Christ really became the primary means through which he demonstrated the legitimacy of his service to Christ, which is fascinating because normally we would want to sort of enumerate our successes, our victories, our, you know, sort of our, our uh, you know, how many people have we led to the Lord, how many churches have we planted, and all this stuff that we've done that has demonstrated what, you know, by most standards would be seen as success. Paul takes a very different tack. And I would believe that this is something that the Holy Spirit clearly inspired him to do because it's a lesson for us. Uh, success is not necessarily measured through numbers and all that kind of thing, but rather faithfulness to Christ, even in spite of profound hardship. 
and that was what Paul had going for him in that regard. And matter of fact, one of those elements of difficulty that he endured actually was something that God not, not only used to validate his apostleship, but really was used to work on Paul himself to help him grow uh, in his own faith, in his own uh, relationship with Christ, if you will. And this had to do again with that which he describes in chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, where he talks about how in order that he not become conceited or puffed up because of the uh, the, the number of visions and the, the, the direct contact he had with the Lord, a messenger of Satan was given to him uh, that buffeted him, uh, a thorn in the flesh as he refers to it. Again, with the reason being for that, that he not become puffed up or conceited or arrogant because of the number of visions or just the, the fact that he had seen Jesus directly, the fact that he had received directly from the Lord. Most of us, you know, would never be able to make a claim like that, to say that, you know, my ministry is really rooted in the fact that I saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. I saw him uh, in a vision. I actually met him and spoke to him. He gave me the gospel personally. I mean, think about the potential for arrogance and that kind of thing. Well, Paul recognized the potential as well as he reflects on what God did in order to keep him from becoming arrogant or conceited. Maybe even actually wrestled with that at some point. But it's interesting to me that a number of things in this passage are really, really interesting to me. And really, really, I feel important for us to get our minds around and our hearts around. Um, Paul recognized, first off, Paul recognized that it was God who had given him this, and Paul understood the reason why. Uh, a messenger of Satan was given to him that buffeted him. Now, clearly, Satan would not have wanted to give this to Paul. I mean, in, in some sense, you know, Satan would certainly have wanted to persecute Paul. Now, many of us, when we say, oh, this, you know, the devil is taunting me or tormenting me or, or giving me a hard time or something, you know, we might say that. But what we really mean by that is that, you know, Satan or probably not Satan himself, but, you know, some of his minions and that are probably giving me a hard time because we understand that Satan probably has bigger fish to fry. There's some world leader that he's trying to influence more than somebody like me. You know what I mean? So uh, chances are it's not Satan himself. But with Paul, uh, you know, it would not be hard to imagine that Satan himself wanted to send. And you can imagine a pretty, pretty big hitting demonic uh, tormentor to go after him. Uh, which, by the way, is, is what that concept, what he's talking about. It's, you know, some people have seen or read into that, the idea that, you know, maybe this was, you know, the eye issues that, you know, he seems to indicate when he talks about what big letters I've written with my own hand as he signs, you know, one of his letters. And, um, I don't really know that that's in view. The word there for messenger uh, is, is the where we get our word angel from, angelos. So, I think it's pretty plain and straightforward that, you know, what Paul is describing here is that he was under demonic oppression, uh, like <laughs> very direct spiritual attack in this episode that he's describing. And so the thing about that, that is, you know, kind of counterintuitive to us is that, you know, whereas if Satan understood what was going to be built in Paul through this episode, he would never have wanted to send this messenger after Paul. But even though, whether Satan knew what he was doing or not, in, in sending this messenger after Paul, God is sovereign over Paul's life, and he allows this messenger to get through, uh, and, and he uses it. 
you know, we think that, you know, God teach me to grow and, and help me to, you know, be humble and this kind of thing. Well, in this particular instance, in order to accomplish that purpose, God actually allowed a demonic entity to torment Paul. And that is what Paul is talking about. He is literally being tortured by this, tormented by this. So much so that he actually calls out to the Lord three times. Uh, by the way, this thorn in the flesh, the word thorn there is actually the word for stake. Like, a, a, you know, a stake that you would drive into something or uh, nail something to the wall with. And um, I don't mean to be trite when I say it this way, but this is a lesson that God was literally allowing uh, this level of, of, uh, of demonic activity as a tool in order to nail this down in Paul's life. But again, I don't mean that to sound, I mean, it sounds somewhat punish in that. I don't, punny, I don't mean it to be silly. But in a very real sense, God allowed this thorn, and actually Paul saw it as, gave, as something having been given to him, uh, which I think is fascinating. Like, Paul recognized the value of God allowing this tormenting entity to mess with him so that he would not become arrogant because of the visions that he'd received. You know, you think about it, again, if we generally consider success uh, in any walk of life, and certainly this comes up in ministry too, we tend to think, well, how many people showed up in church? Or how many people are you know, watching a podcast? Or how many books have I written? Or, you know, this kind of thing. And, and we start to measure that. As a matter of fact, the world even brings that into the church. How often, um, when you talk about what church you either go to, or if you're a pastor and you're leading a fellowship, and that comes up in conversation somewhere, almost invariably, the very first question that comes up as a result of that is, oh, how many people come to your church? And that kind of thing. Uh, there's just this sense of, of you know, success is measured in, in those kinds of measurables. But success in ministry is rooted in something far more um, profound than that. I like that word because it's, it's pregnant with meaning. It's thought-provoking. It, it helps us to recognize that this is not a shallow thing we're talking about, but rather there's depth and heft to what's going on when we consider but with the idea of something being profound. Well, this is a profound lesson that Paul is learning, and by extension, we should be learning as well. And that is that humility is, the, is one of the end games that God is working out in our lives, because it is in that place of humility that we become far more useful because we become far more Christ-like, who, you know, being in the form of God, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself or emptied himself uh, and even became in the form of a man that he might ultimately die for our sins, as Paul would discuss and describe in Philippians chapter 2. Um, this is the thing that God is working out in us. And so to recognize the importance of that and the willingness on Paul's part to accept that and recognize it, and even at the end of the passage, uh, rejoice in it and, sell, and give himself completely over to it. Therefore, I will, I will, you know, rejoice in my weaknesses. I will uh, boast in those things. I will glory in those things. I will glory in my weakness in that because when I am weak, then I am strong. As Jesus said when Paul cried out three times that this would leave him, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, no, Paul, I'm not going to deliver you from this. I'm not going to remove this messenger from you. It is because it is in this place that my grace is learned, is understood, is embraced, is leaned upon, is stood upon. Grace, that profound, unmerited favor of God, 
this is this is actually a gift that Paul sees that he's again in retrospect that that, that he experienced that God would go to such lengths to teach him such a profound lesson is something that Paul uh, in in reviewing this understands that this is this is actually a gift from God helping me to grow in this place there are those that really struggle with the idea of God allowing suffering or difficulty or hardship into the life of a believer because there's a tendency and there are entire movements in the church we talked about them over the last couple of Sunday mornings um, that that believe that suffering sickness uh, spiritual attack those kinds of things really um, are not the sign of of a believer, but rather these are things that need to be prayed in faith to be removed because nobody should ever be sick or nobody should ever go through difficulties like that or something, you know, and uh, the truth of the matter is, is that these are brought into our lives or allowed by God to come into our lives that we might ultimately grow in ways that we would otherwise never grow. This lesson could have been taught another way, or if there was a more valuable way for Paul to have learned it, no doubt the Lord would have done that. But this is what was necessary. This is what was required to accomplish the purpose in Paul that God intended to accomplish. Uh, it is very, very much uh, like Jesus when in the garden he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, in the ultimate act of surrender to the will of God, he allowed what needed to happen to him to produce the fruit that from eternity past had been determined in the death of Christ and the resurrection. Well, Paul very similarly avails himself to the Lord and says, I will, I'll, I will absolutely give myself over to weakness that Christ might be magnified. This is a really, really important, again, I'll say it again for probably the 10th time, profound lesson. And it is one that is not easily learned, one that's not even uh, easily accepted, and in some cases, unfortunately not even easily understood. Um, it ought to be understood. We ought to recognize it. We ought to see it for what it is, as a gift from God that helps us to grow as he would have us grow, that we might become useful for his glory. Uh, Paul, as a matter of fact, would say, I was brought into Christ and therefore I'm not my own. And he would speak of how he would glorify God in his body. He would give himself physically over to the Lord to be used as the Lord would see fit that he might be glorified because he fully understood that when Jesus died for him and rose from the dead and bought and paid for him, he became a bond slave of Christ. And that's what I want to be as well. I hope you do as well. But this is the place that God will lead us to, uh, a place of being willing to let him do what, what he will in our lives. A good, a very good friend of mine who's actually in surgery today um, uh, for, uh, 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 for prostate cancer, prayed a, a prayer a long time ago, Lord, whatever it takes to get to me, to teach me, to help me to become like Jesus. Um, and the, and the, his testimony is beautiful and, uh, and awesome because of the fact that God actually did take him through some very, very difficult things that he might teach him and help him to grow, that he might become more like Christ, that he might know Jesus better. And I admire that deeply. And I, uh, very much want to have that same attitude and mindset and it's something that I don't think we switch a flip a flip a switch per se but rather instead it's something that we daily surrender ourselves to that he might allow that we might I should say not resist but rather allow him 
that place of working in us and developing in us that Christ-like character, which is often so much more than what we generally think it is. Uh, that complete sense of surrender to the will of the Father, that complete willingness to let God do in our lives what He will, that He might receive glory and use us in a way that reminds the world of Him. Again, that's what I want. I hope you do too. So read the passage for sure. I obviously couldn't read it while I was driving, but I'll encourage you to read it. Uh, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. And um, and spend some time meditating on it, praying about it, uh, considering it. I mean, meditate in the biblical sense, just digesting the word and, and, and chewing on it over and over again until you get everything out of it you can. Um, this is a rich passage to do that with, and so I'd encourage you to Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us your word and giving us this word. Father, we might grow and understand that this is the place you want to lead us to. This is the hard posture and attitude that you would ask us to embrace, not just know about, but embrace that you might make us more like Jesus truly. Um, Father, I, I would just ask you to help us to humble ourselves before you and give ourselves fully over to you without reservation. And when we find the enemy seeking to undermine that and thwart that, help us not to see it as a deterrent from continuing on, but even to recognize maybe in that moment you're allowing that in the process of building us into us, that Christ-like character. So thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you. Bless you for your hand upon our lives, even though it can be difficult sometimes at the end of the day to become more like Jesus. It's the pursuit of a lifetime, and it's one that, that we want to embrace. And so thank you, Father. We love you and ask all this in Jesus' name.